Well, if you have a Bible this morning on this first day of January 2012, turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Paul, in speaking of his current state of growth and walk with the Lord, he tells us what we would have to admit ourselves. Now, I haven't arrived yet, but I am on my way. Listen to these words. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting 2011 and 20 and the other thing, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will inspire us and anoint our hearts and ears, my mouth, that our gathering here today would be a fruitful time, a time of visitation, a time in which things begin to take a renewed interest, a more serious interest in what you're saying to us, that we would begin to walk fearlessly through this world. Not foolishly, but fearlessly. That our eyes would be open to see what you've offered to us as a way of escape. That you would bless us as we go in, that you would bless us as we go out. That we would learn how, as we put our hands to anything, that you will bless it because we'll do it in the name of Jesus. I pray for your anointing this morning. We bind the enemy from twisting or distorting anything that is said, that your word would have a clear sound, and that we would receive it, all of us, gladly and gratefully, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Philippians chapter 3, Paul simply says, I'm looking forward, I'm pressing on towards the high call that God has for us. Like in verse 16, Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Let us. It's about us. Us. We are here as a unit. We are here gathered together, believing that each one of us have experienced the same urge and call from God. All of us. If you haven't, while you're here, we're glad you're here. But you're not a part of God's family yet. You have to be born into it. That's where the call and the urge begins to take place in your life. You see, without that, church is nothing more than a message of warmth and something to make me feel better. But when there's something that God is tugging at your heart about, there's a deeper need in your life than to feel better. There is a need to walk with the Lord and to know Him and strive after His ways and labor to enter into His rest and so forth. Now, as we enter a new year, I think it's traditional, and it's probably so most every church in the country, that we're supposed to make predictions and tell about what exciting things are going to happen this year and we're going to do this and do that. And I'm not a prophet I don't profess to have any prophetic glimpse into 2012. I have opinions. I have my concerns, my deep concerns about this coming year. Globally, whether we in America realize it or not, I think the world is beginning to shake. The Bible says it's going to reel to and fro, and it's beginning to shake because of all the problems that are in the world, countries. Things like money. What do we do? You know, there's a press for a one-world bank or a world banking system, which all nations would look to as a, for a one-world currency. I mean, this is coming because one of the great problems in international trade is how much is my dollar worth against your whatever your currency is called. And there's got to be some way we can have equal transactions here and be on the same page. And the best way to do that is just have a one-world bank in which everybody spends the same dollar or nickel. That will become so corrupted that we will be issued numbers all over the world. Everybody will have a number. 
and that's the way we will trade. Now, I believe prior to all of this, the Lord will do such a work in the church that it will be no longer fit to be on the earth, and he'll take it off the earth. I believe in the rapture of believers and overcomers. But I do believe that we're looking at this time coming. More and more, you know, the banks are overspending, and they've overborrowed, and they're becoming insolvent, and their ratings are down, and they're no longer trustworthy, and people don't trust banks. And you look at places like Greece and Ireland and Portugal and probably Spain soon and, and other countries in which their economies are just collapsing. They're not doing well at all, and the rest of the world has to prop them up. Well, all of this is a forecast of just things that are coming in the world. It should be a sobering thing to us because instead of us trying to realize our mansion on the hill and all of that dream, maybe we should realize that the Lord is coming, that all of these things are indications that the world is setting itself up for an antichrist and when these things begin to happen and you begin to see these events come to place, then you know the Lord's coming. And the Bible said we should look up. So I'm just saying all of this just to tell you that, praise God, it's about to happen. It won't be long. It might not happen this year. But the wheels will continue to roll in that direction. So I'm not afraid of that. God said it's coming, so he's giving us what we need to deal with it, not be afraid of it. And the song was saying, there may be many camped around about me, but God's my shield. God's my protector. The righteous runneth unto him and are safe. Whom should we fear? What should we be afraid? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in all of this stuff going on this year, you're going to find more and more that the great culprit, the great cause of all the earth, all the earth's problems is Israel. Israel, the Jews. Oh, if we didn't have Jews in the world, we wouldn't have any problems. Even some of the great so-called European nations are beginning to blame Israel for their problems. One of the political candidates for one of our main two parties believes the Mossad or the Israeli secret police caused 9-11. And if he were president, he'd cut off all aid to Israel. That's the exact opposite of what you should do. Because they that bless thee, I will bless them, God said. You'll find more and more as Israel is surrounded. It's not a very big country. It's a little place the size of New Jersey, surrounded by threats and Arab nations. One of my prayers for Israel is that God will confound the nations around about them and keep them in turmoil. And that seems to be happening now because if they ever got together for one common purpose, they would invade Israel. Syria threatens Israel if she invades or drops a bomb or does something to Iran that they'll let loose 150,000 missiles towards Israel. It's probably biological stuff. There's just so much hatred in the world. People don't know why they're hate. They're taught to hate. They're trained to hate. They read the paper. They listen to other hate mongers, and they just learn to hate. And you're going to find more and more that Israel is to blame. And the problem. And I think there's just all kinds of things that are going on. The world is mad at each other all the time. Everybody wants to hurt each other. And all of this is part of the great grand scheme coming together. Now, there will be some interesting things happen this year politically, especially in other countries. It's creeping towards us. And there will be things happen militarily in the world that will alarm us. And all of these things are going to come to pass. But be not afraid. Be not afraid. Now, coming down to us here in our church, forgetting those things which are behind, we can't change what's happened. What's happened to anybody in here, in your family, in your money, your life, your health? What has happened, happened. You can't go back yesteryear and change anything. What happened in the last few years or yesterday in your life has happened. It's like letting go of an arrow. Once you let go of the arrow, you can't get it back. Where it goes, it goes. When you pull the trigger, you can't stop the projectile. You can't bring it back. It's loosed. And what's happened has happened. Now, if we made a lot of bad decisions, then we have to deal with it. But you can't labor... All of this year on the sadness of yesteryear. 
It's not good for you physically, and it's not good for you spiritually to be moaning and groaning about all your mistakes and all your turmoil. You have to fix it. You have to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, then you're not a fighter. And if you don't want to fight, you're going to be defeated. And if you're defeated, then you miss the whole point. Uh, one of the things that God is doing is equipping us and preparing us to fight the good fight of faith. And if you don't do that, then we're going to be defeated. You'll be overwhelmed, you'll give up, and you'll be a victim, and you'll quit. But it shouldn't be like that at all. So this year, starting today, I want to share with you some things that I believe that God wants us to focus on as a church this year. So the people say, well, what are you all doing? Well, I'll give you an outline of what we're going to do, of what God, I believe, personally, as I stand here, answerable for this congregation to God, what I believe that God is going to do, things that he wants us to focus on as a church. And these are the things that I want us to listen to this morning. I want to share with you. Number one area that he's going to focus on, not particularly the first area, but an area, is personal interaction. Us and you. Me and you. Not us and them out there. Me and you. Us. Personal interaction. Remember the story, and this will be a series we'll come up with quite soon. Remember the story in Genesis 4, after Cain had killed Abel, and God comes along and says, Where's your brother? Where's Abel? Remember the answer in Genesis 4, 19? He said, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> it's not my day to watch him, is it? Now, he wouldn't say that or he'd have been smoked. But he just said, am I my brother's keeper? I could ask you the question, are we each other's keeper? Are we in any way as Christians responsible for or to each other? Or is it, I'm here, you mind your own business? Because if that's true, then we would have no right to question another's behavior. Like in Galatians 6, he says, if you see a man overtaken in a fault, the Bible says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. So we have to be spiritual people or we can't practice Christianity. I don't know that I've ever seen much of this ever done in my entire Christian life. To my shame, I say that, that we have sort of left each other alone. Don't bother me. I won't bother you. You get off of my case, and I won't get on yours. And it's not my problem. And yet, maybe we've left this message out for years and years. Maybe it is our problem. Maybe we are responsible to each other. When the Bible says, submit yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord, or the verse of going to your brother and gaining thy brother, getting him back. Or in James 5, converting a sinner from his ways. He's spared him from a terrible judgment. I mean, that's what we do. We are being equipped to talk to each other. God knows for 30 years we've tried to teach the Word. It's supposed to have some kind of effect upon us personally as we relate to God, and it's also supposed to have some outward effect on each other. The first great commandment is to love God with all your heart, and he said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you have concerns about yourself, then that's self-answerable. And we've never quite done that because we've had so many problems of our own that we just sort of feel sorry for each other. But there has to be this care and concern for each other. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. You see, our attention this year, I believe, especially, and there'll be other things we can teach on through the year, we always do, but I believe that our attention must be focused on spiritual matters as God, by His Spirit, brings them to our memory so that we can deal with things, whether it's, again, with our own selves or each other. I believe God wants to inspire us this year. I prayed that a while ago, that a renewed interest in the Word, something that hasn't been there bringing us to God, 
before, like it will happen this year, that God will begin to cause you to see your need to press in, like Paul said. I can't do that. Only God can do that. We need to be inspired. And I pray that in this year he will do that. We must want to learn. Want to. I really want to learn. Not just what I have to listen. I want to learn. God, teach me thy ways that I may walk in thy truth. Don't just make me durable so that I can sit in a green chair for an hour and 12 minutes and listen, but make me learn while I sit in that green chair for an hour and 12 minutes and listen. Make me to learn. Give me a hunger I've never quite had before in a deeper dimension than I've ever known it. Give me that, Lord. I would love to see that this year for all of us here. And teach me to worship and to reach out to other people and to grow. I'm talking about us and each other as well as you and God. May this be a year that these things begin to come to the surface and God begins to deal with us that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, what is a body? It's just well, what it says. It's a picture of a human body with all of its many parts. And all of these parts in a human body all work together. You get scratched. Your feet support you while your other foot catches up. You look this way. There's so many thousands and maybe millions of intricate actions that take place just real quick because they all are submitted to the command center. And the human body, when it works like this, it does what it's designed to do. I mean, this is where it's supposed to be. And so he says, we are members, we are a part of each other. In verse 18, he said, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. God puts together those he wants together. Not exactly who you wish you were with, but... God puts together what he wants and the way he wants it put together. Verse 25. This is our goal, that there should be no schism, division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Have you ever known that as a body acting like that? There's always a few that are doing this. Always somebody that gets this. But as a group, as a body... Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had the same care one for another? That there was a spirit of mercifulness about us where we wanted to relieve, when directed by God, to relieve the sufferings of others and help others and take note of others' needs and be a benefit to them. To some way be inspired of God to just look out from yourself more and look at others and see how you can fit in with them. Verse 26 And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. We're members one of another. This is the way it should be. May God inspire us as we focus on it. Look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 1. We then that are strong... Now stop. If we are not strong, this verse cannot work. Would you agree with that? So if we are weak, if we're the opposite of strong or we're not seeking to be strong in what the Bible says is strong, then we cannot do what verse 1 says. We can read it. And amen it and underline it, take notes about it and write it down somewhere for reference. But if you're not strong, this doesn't work. Listen to it. We then that are strong ought. That's that auto club we're going to form. We ought to do this. We ought to do that. But he said, we then that are strong ought to bear the weaknesses or the infirmities of the weak, the inefficiencies of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. I've got a whole bunch of notes on this subject. I've just selected a few things this morning to brief. But the New Testament is full of this. 
is full of it about how we relate to each other. And yet somehow we've been able to read it, but read around it and not really take to heart what it says about our relationship with each other. The concern we should have, the interest we should have, and the corrective exhortation rebuke that we should have for each other. Paul says, I warn every man I meet. I warn them all. I teach them, I talk to them, but I warn every man. And he said the reason in Colossians 1, the reason that he did that is so he can present every man perfect. Because if we don't get the scum out, then the scum remains. And there's no perfection in scum. Iron ore. You know what I mean. So he tells us that we are to be strong so that we can bear the infirmities of the weak. And you read this very carefully in Romans chapter 14, the chapter before this. We're invited there to be concerned about each other. Not to rebuke, that is to criticize and point our fingers at each other. Look at that. Look at him. But in a spirit of holiness to go to people, as Christ would have you do, considering your own self and deal with other people. Amen. Let me ask you all a question. This is not part of what I wanted to say, but i got to throw this in. Have any of you ever seen or known a brother or a sister who was making some bad decisions? Heading down a road that's going to hurt them? I mean, have you ever seen anybody you know, young folks, older folks, you're just not making very good decisions and you're talking about things that are going to hurt you and you didn't say anything to them. And you didn't say a word to them. You didn't say you shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't do that. That's not good. You're going to hurt yourself because you know if you said that today in this society and this message is left out of the church, somebody's going to try and say, it's none of your business what I do. Isn't that right? I mean, maybe in a more, it is really none of your business. Or don't tell me what to do. I have a right to, and that type of thing. So we have, because of the rebuke that we get for acting spiritual, we've just left out doing what we should do. And how many of those same people have gone on and make tragic decisions, messed up their lives or other people's lives, when it maybe could have been stopped if we had said something to them? And yet we're afraid they won't like us. They have to like us. I mean, it's just like, you may not like me, but you have to. If you don't like me, you got to love me. And me, you. But are we our brother's keeper? Is there anything more in the Bible than what I just said about it? Well, you stick around because we'll get to that later on. See, there's two words in the Bible here that must prevail in our relationship with each other. One is commitment. First, we commit ourselves to God. Then we commit ourselves as being committed to God to the well-being of each other. I'm not going into your house while you're eating supper. Say, what are you eating? Why would you cook it? Well, why are you feeding your kids? That's none of my business about that. But if you use bad words, you drive crazy, you're running around with unsaved people, and you find yourself being foolish in your lifestyle, somebody... It doesn't have to be the preacher. You don't have to call me. You do it yourself. We are members one of another, are we not? We do have a relationship with each other and a responsibility. Second thing is doctrinal correctness. I want to major on that. Doctrinal correctness. Maybe the modern church would call it snootiness. Oh, they have to dot their I's and cross their T's. I hope we do dot our I's and cross our T's right. I pray that we make a big deal out of it. Because I want to. Doctrinal correctness. Let me tell you how God feels about His Word. One of the verses, we don't read this much, but this is a verse. Put your finger wherever you are and turn to Isaiah 66 and verse 2. 
Now, this is a verse which describes whom God will relate to, will be personal to, will benefit. Isaiah 66, right in the middle to the right, verse 2. But to this man will I look. Does your Bible say something like that? Right, listen to it. God says, to this person I will look. That's personal. This man will I look to, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. Now, we've been taught to be poor in spirit. A man who is poor in spirit has no arrogance or boasts before God. He cannot tell others how good and how deep and how far along he is and how much above other people he is. Because he recognizes if he's anything at all, he is because God has given him something good. But there is so much more that he needs that he does not have that he has to admit that without that, he is poverty stricken. I am poor in spirit because I need so much more than what I have and my need is constant. Like the song was saying, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. We're constantly in need in the eyes of God. Because God always has much more to give that you don't have. And if a man recognizes that, there's a humility that begins to come into his life and follow him around. Contriteness is that humbleness. That lowering of the head before God, recognizing that it's all God and not brother or sister or anybody. I am thankful and grateful to you for all the nuggets of truth and the wonderful ways you've led me and kept me. But I know that you did it. That I'm not capable. That Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But with Christ, all things are possible. My hope rests in Jesus. My strength is in Jesus. My sanctification, edification, everything is in Christ. And I need all of Him that I can. I need to press towards that. And God says, now listen to it again, Isaiah 66, 2, Unto this man will I look, even to him that is poor of a contrite Spirit, and what? The last thing he said was, and trembleth at my word. Remember the phrase in the New Testament Paul wrote, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? When's the last time we ever read the word and begin to be concerned about whether or not we're in harmony with it? Jesus said this word's going to judge us. How many times have we read things? I was reading about the elect before I went to seminar. I hope that was the right subject. I don't know that it was, but it was for me at the moment. And I was thinking, am I really one of them? Man, what if I did all that I'm doing now, all these years, all the weary travels and all the labor... What if it came down to the end and he said, I never knew you. You used me to benefit yourself and that's your reward. But you and I, we didn't have a relationship. My word says things you violated. It said thou shalt not and you did it anyway. You were hateful and loathsome. You treated people bad. You were all about money and not about lives. I never knew you and you won't make it. Would that bother anybody if it was one of those serious moments where you started thinking about how, if you do, how you relate to God, if you're even born again? I've learned the routine and the system, but nothing's working for me. Have you been born again? Has your life transformed into a different person that overcomes? Have you been born again? These are good questions, because if you're not, you know, the consequences are bad. The word tremble has to do with the emotional effect of something God said. 
Something he said makes me tremble. Like in Psalm 119 and verse 20, he said, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. I take nothing for granted standing here this morning. Are you sitting there? This day is just another day we have to live this life. We haven't arrived anywhere yet. We're on our way. The goal is still in front of us. The journey is now. We're not there. We must keep going. Our hands on the plow. We have to hold on to it till the field is done. We can't look back and then rest on yesteryear's accomplishment. We can't do that. That's not poor in spirit at all. That's deserving. Ah, look what I've done. I, you know. But trembleth at thy word. What is sound doctrine? Can you all find Titus? Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. Use this word several times, or this phrase doctrine, several times. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Now, is that what I am supposed to do to you? Titus 2. Now, Paul's instruction to a minister, a young fellow that he was mentoring, I suppose, he said, Titus, speak the things that become sound doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. It's instruction. And if the instruction is according to the Word of God, then it's sound. It is honored by the Lord, and He will bless those that do it. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, he said, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Holding fast the faithful word. Who holds fast? It didn't say hearing the faithful word, did it? Come on now, let me preach a little bit. I'm an exhorter, so let me exhort a little bit. Holding fast the faithful word, that's what you've got to do, as he hath been taught. Then the church is for teaching. The teacher cannot make you hold fast. I don't know what's in anybody's heart in this room. I don't know what you're thinking about right now, if you're text messaging or you're finding verses on the Bible, on your phone. God knows your heart and knows what you're doing. But the Bible says you've got to hold fast the word that God watches over himself to perform. That's called a faithful word. And if you've been taught, you should hold it fast because you know. And he that knoweth to do good and so forth. Now, he goes on. Verse 9. As he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those that are opposed in opposition. Now, is it true that we're going to be opposed? And is it not true that we Christians are going to be challenged? That people will think you're either extreme, overboard, or whatever, legalistic, because all y'all do is teach. You go to church and take notes like you're in some school. That's supposed to be a put-down, but that ought to be a credit. Because, you see, sound doctrine has to be taught. You don't just get it because it's so different. The devil fights it so much, you have to bear down to get it. The Holy Spirit is working, willing to open your eyes and show it to you if you really want it. And when you start getting a hold of it, you're going to be one of those people that they can't talk out of your faith. See, these seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that are loosed on a major mega scale in this world as I speak are going to target you. Wanting to make you feel like you're not with it. You're out of the spiritual loop. You're left behind. You're still in yesteryear. We're out here going on. And you're supposed to feel like you've missed it. You homeschoolers, you know, you've been denied so much of this world. Bless your old little pitiful hearts. You know, your parents have been so religious that you don't even have a life of your own. Uh. Listen, once the Word finds it into anybody's heart, young folks, older folks, when the Word finds its way into your heart as God directs it, you begin to see the difference. 
between where He's bringing you and where other people are going. It's like Psalm 73. He said, I looked at all the people that are doing well, and I thought, it's not fair. I try, I work at this, and look, I'm suffering, going through this, about broke. Look at these people. They hate God. They don't give a dime to God. Look how wealthy they are. These athletes are making millions of dollars. You know, the basketball coaches only make 125000 a week. That's more money than some of y'all make in three months. <laughs> or a year or two or three. You know what? And the psalmist finally said, then I saw their end. Because I kept looking at the Word. God began to enlighten me about what He's going to honor in the end and who's going to make it and who it is. He said, they're not going to make it. That's a tragedy. Then I began to feel sorry for them. Because that's the kind of heart you have. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I would have gathered you together. He didn't say, all right, buddy. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, lay not this to their charge, Stephen said. Because you can see what's going to happen to people because of the Word coming into your life and lifting you up to a level you've never been before to where a true spirituality, or the Bible calls spirituals, spiritual men, spiritual people, people who think like God is leading them to think. This is what's going to help you overcome the gainsayers and all those that are going to try to turn you away from what you believe. Doctrinal correctness. I do want to spend some time this year on our every seven or eight years teaching on God's attributes. Making things like His sovereignty. The sovereignty of God. Everybody, every Christian should see God as a sovereign God. The sovereign God. With no equal, nobody else like that. Total control of everything. Absolute control. It is His world. He created it and He can do in it as He pleases. And He can never do wrong. Now, it just makes you get quiet. It makes you say, is this really true? It is. Put your hand over your mouth and be still. And know who He is. And let the quietness and the serenity as well as the soberness of the moment as that word comes into your heart make you think wow all of God's attributes his faithfulness his mercy his love his goodness all the things that define God I would like for those things to be lodged in all of our hearts so that to us God is everything God means everything to us. Being devoted to God is, is what else is there? Because look who you're relating to. And come to the place where you don't dread having to sit for an hour and listen to some theological theme. Because that is the foundation that when a man is standing on what he knows Christianity is and who God is and what he's doing, this person will not fall. The winds will blow and it will go this way and that way, but they won't fall. Was it not Paul who wrote, till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be no longer like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? We shouldn't have that problem. We shouldn't have that problem. We shouldn't have to deal with doctrinal ignorance being propagated by somebody here. We should not have that problem, along with many other problems we should not have. The condition of the human heart has got so stale and so disinterested before God that the things that God gives us to correct us and sustain us, we let it go in one ear and out the other ear, or we let it slip. And we stand before God... If we don't get help, we will be judged. And we don't want that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're close to it. Go back a couple books. Verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, 
Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Now that is what I need. Without some doctrinal understanding, I don't know that I have any right to be here. I don't think any pastor has a right to do that. But I'm not the only one that should be responsible for about things of doctrine. We all should, because we're all going to confront people that you need to correct. Again, let me say it one more time. This chapter concerning the saints and doctrine, verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, that's the preaching part, the delivery, and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things and give yourself totally to them, that your profiting or your growth may appear to all. They'll all know that God's blessed you and He's bringing you along. Praise the Lord. Notice verse 16, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. There it is again. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and who else? Well, what if they don't hear? Are you hearing? Are you listening? This is what it says. If the minister, and there's some of you in here that are going to be very soon. If you will commit yourself to the Word, the understanding of it, the thinking of it, the meditation of it, the delivery of it, you don't have to be good at it. It's not required that you be good. It's just required that you be called and anointed. And you do your part to learn what things mean, to get to the bottom of things and to learn this and learn that. The inspiration of Scripture, how can it be all of it inspired? I mean, how do we know that it's a... You need to know why. You need to answer those questions for yourself. Don't call, don't Google it. Just study. Take time to be holy, the song said. Well, take time to be understanding. God meets you in those quiet places. God meets you when you set yourself to seek Him. You will find Him because He will meet you in your pursuit of God. And there are things that he puts on your mind. You hear things and you think, I don't know if I know what that means. Find out. There are good books and tapes and lots of resources you can refer to. Find out. And then let him just make you joyful. Wow, look what I've learned. Praise God. Isn't that good? Yes, it is good. Yes, it is good. Look in 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 and 16. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able, able, able. Can you all say able? That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is outbreathed of God, and is profitable for what first? Doctrine, for reproof, we'll need to do that. For correction, we'll need to do that. For instruction in righteousness, we should be doing that. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. These are the words that are given to the church. This is the way we're supposed to think. This is the pattern of life we ought to have because the results are saved people. This is what I believe one of the things that God is going to focus us on this year that God is going to bring us to. And this will, this will, this being grounded in the Word is going to keep you from being seduced by seducing spirits and by angels of light that come along with this high-sounding new stuff that's coming in the world and all those kind of things that, that are turning people away. You know, some people don't get it. Back in the 70s, it was a shepherding movement that unless you have a shepherd, you cannot be in right standing with God. And every church has to have a shepherd over the shepherd. I need a shepherd, and he needs a shepherd. 
And they all need shepherds until they get to the top and they shepherd each other. Well, that proved to be wrong. But people jumped in and followed that. And then came the prophetic thing in the 80s, the late 80s. Here comes the prophets. Oh, the prophets. If your church doesn't have a prophetic oversight, then your church can't walk with God. Prophets. Well, that didn't last but a few years. And so many prophets proved to be less than prophetic. And then the apostolic movement is trying to run through the country. And if you don't have an apostle over your church, the apostle is called a father. And the way it works is that the pastor of the church gives his... I'm not exaggerating. The pastor gives his heart to the apostle. And the apostle takes the oversight of the church and becomes a father to the pastor and a father to the flock. And unless you have a father, then you are a gathering of orphans, and you cannot know and you cannot go. That's the apostolic movement. And all these men who are calling themselves apostles, their goal, it's not a doctrinal movement, it's a movement thing. They major on relationships of submission. They major on this and that. And they never teach the people how to live the Christian life. They think it just happens because you get your fatherhood and you get your organizational thing right and all of this just happens. It does not. A man cannot teach me what he does not himself know. If all you can teach me is about the system, about your denomination, what's catechism? It's not about Jesus. It's about the system. What was the shepherding movement? It's about the system. You teach people the system. They can quote the system. They can't quote the Bible. The prophetic thing. They went through deliverance. They knew all about that, but they didn't know the Bible. It is our goal. It is mine. In 2012, to maybe intensify this part, this part about doctrinal correctness. Thirdly, another focus is to bear down on the message of faith so that all the members have faith in God. Not a professed faith, but a living, active faith. Faith is a noun. It's just a, a word for something or somebody, person, place, or thing. But when faith is active, it's a verb. It always shows something. It does something. has action to it. If we are Christians who are called believers, then we must, in our believing, identify ourselves by how we live. Our words, our actions, and our deeds. God has given us over 8,000 promises in the Bible that we can believe. A loving God has made provisions for all of our needs. It says, my God shall supply all of your needs. All these promises that were in the Old Testament, Paul writes, all of those promises were made to Abraham and his seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as of one, that is Christ. All these promises that God made, Deuteronomy 28, Psalms 37, thousands of promises. Well, that was for the Jews. No, that was all from Abraham down through Christ to us. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And Paul says all the promises are in him, that's Christ, in him, yes, and in him, amen. So if it's yes, and God doesn't say, well, he could do this, but he probably won't do it for you because he may not want you to do this. Or he may not want you to be well. He may not want you to prosper and be in health. He may want you poor, broken, sick. Where do you find that? Well, he may not want to heal everybody. I never heard Jesus go through the streets of Galilee and say, be sick. But three different places in the New Testament, the Bible says he healed every one of them. Nobody was left out. All of them. We need to believe that. Because what was written there was written for our learning. That we should take hope and expectation of the Scriptures when we read that. God's going to help us, bless us, keep us, supply our needs, protect us in the days to come. 
We need not fear anybody. He will deliver us from all of our fears. Faith is letting God perform His Word for you. You simply say, Lord, I am taking you at your word. If you said it, I receive it. I can't make it work. It isn't going to work because I believe it. It's going to work because you said it. Your faith doesn't make the word true. The word's true whether you believe it or not. Somebody will believe it. And God gave it for that reason. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So we want to keep that message current. Fourthly, this year, set higher goals for yourself. All of you, you could all do better. All of us could do better. We're going to set our goal just a little higher. We're in a race, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 9. We're running in a race. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you a spectator or a runner? Spectators sit in the stands with milkshakes and pop, popcorn and admire or criticize those who are running. But no man has a right to criticize anybody running in a race until they themselves have run in a race. And nobody has a right to run in a race unless they've trained and prepared to run in a race. And if you haven't done that, you still have no right to criticize. Because once you have put your feet on the starting line and the gun went off and you took off running, you don't have to run too far early in the run to get winded. And a lot of people take that as a sign that, you know, we need to slow down. And yet, this is the difference between those that do and those that don't. Sometimes you push yourself, you just keep running. You just push yourself, and next thing you know, you get what we call your second wind. And you can keep your pace up. Everybody has a pace. Even runners will tell you they have a pace, and they stay in that particular pace. They can run for a long time, just run a long way. If they try to speed up to catch somebody, they can't run that far. There's a pace we all have. You got to find it. And you got to hold yourself to it and say, I will not do less. I will run this race like this. This is the way God wants you to do it. We concentrate this year on plowing and not playing. Because our desire is to seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. That's for me personally. Because I want to live the right kind of life that God has given me to live. You set the goal for yourself to witness this year, to share with your message with other people. You've got light in a dark world. You've got a message that gives hope when there's so much despair. And yet, our witness is not about how good God is. You just kneel on the velvet carpet and the Lord will come down and take your order. No, you give them the word. You don't leave out the hard parts either. If a man or a woman is desperate for change, they will receive it. If they just want some quick fix remedy from some little Christian atmosphere, it'll never last. You tell them the truth. Jesus will only use truth to make a man free. I've had people ask me through the years, and I'm sure you have too, well, should I tell them? I say, is that true? Yeah. Can they handle that? I mean, you got to be wise. Tell them the truth. God isn't going to use a half-truth to fix something. He's not going to use a deception to, well, you know, I, well, no, I, I, that's not important right now. Maybe it is important right now. Tell them the truth. That's all you got to do. You're a witness. You can't save anybody. You can't even offer salvation to anybody. All you can do is give them the message. God does the saving. You can't save them. God's the one that makes those choices, folks. I don't. My mission is to declare the truth. God will save whomsoever He wants. You did not choose me. I chose you. So your goal in witnessing is to declare what has happened, what has been made available to you. Jesus Christ has bore your sins, made it possible for you to be forgiven of everything so that God can make you His own. If you're willing. If they say, well, how do you do this? Well, you repent. I've never done anything wrong. Well, then you can't. Next, fifthly, 
this year, one of our focuses is to seek to know your gift or your calling for and in the church. Everybody here has something. God didn't set you in here as a blank. Nobody here is just here because I'm here. You're here for a reason. There is a purpose in God bringing you here, whoever you are. For what you hear and what you see, what's quickening in your heart, what you're thinking right now. There's a work of God in bringing you here to locate you and if you're willing to infuse into you something that will benefit other people. Gifts, for example, gifts. Romans 12, would you turn to Romans 12? Gifts. We call them charisma. Gifts. The gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12 also speaks of gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine gifts. Three of them say something. Three of them reveal something, and three of them do something. There's power gifts, revelation gifts, and other gifts. And we call these the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. But there are other gifts. Because we may say, well, I've never prophesied or spoken in tongues, or I've never had discerning of spirits, whatever that is, or... I've never had gifts of healings or worked miracles. I don't think I could even be used to do that. Well, you'd be surprised at what God would do when the person really wants to be used. But in chapter 12 of Romans, he gives us these gifts. Let's look at some of them here. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, As you know, grace is an undeserved favor from God. You can't earn it. You didn't work real hard and say, okay, Lord, now. No. When God bestows His grace or His favor upon anybody, it's never because they earned it or deserved it. And there's always a reason and a purpose in grace pouring into anybody. He said, having then gifts, charisma, differing. Let me tell you what Henry Thayer, the Greek scholar, says about the word charisma. He said, grace or gifts denoting extraordinary powers, distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ, the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating on their souls by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God may give a gift to Brother Thomas here, a gift that we wouldn't even recognize, showing mercy. We would never think of that as a gift, but it's a special way. It's a special way of relating to hurting people, just a way of getting in there, getting in there quick. You might last for two hours trying to get somebody, but these people can do it right away. I mean, they have the right words. It's a gifting And God pours this kind of a gift into a person for one reason, to help you. Now, we may want to bronze him and put his picture on the wall. Oh, brother. (laughs) But all the gifts, all the charismas of God, any gift, the domas, the dorias, the charismas, isn't that nice? All these gifts God gives to the church for the aid or the sake of somebody else. Prophecy is not for me, it's for you. Tongues are not for me. It's for you, unless it's a prayer language. When you speak unto God, no man understands him. But when it's a gift, it'll be interpreted by another gift, the interpretation of tongues. And then we benefit from it like we would with prophecy. Well, why would God want to do it that way? Why indeed? I'll leave to God his ways and thank God I'm a part of it. Miracles. A miracle will work in power. You know why he would give the working of miracles to me? So I could be famous. I could be rich. Sought out by the great ones of this earth. You know what the gift of working the miracles is for? It's for you. 
gifts of healing. You've had a problem that's been in your life for 15 years and you've spent all that you've had, nothing better than all of that. One day, some teenager who's been really pressing in and seeking after God, here's my cup, Lord, fill it up. And one day, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon that person in just a regular old Wednesday night service. (laughs) And in a Wednesday night service, you're sitting there, and this person's sitting there interested. All of a sudden, what's going on here? And the preacher, for some strange reason, just stopped. A pause. And this person said, Brother Hamilton, God is healing somebody here. And then they mentioned what they're healing from. And the person who's getting healed goes, Ah! <laughs> I got a home in glory. Then we start. Then we start having a meeting on Wednesday nights. Next Wednesday, they'll all be here. (laughs) Gifts. They inspire us. They benefit us. They fix us. They guide us. They protect us. All these gifts are important, and there's something for all of us. Let me read it again. Verse 6, having gifts differing. First one he mentions is prophecy. Second one he mentions is ministry, verse 7. Ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. Let me come back to that in just a minute. Next one is teaching. All of you are teachers. There is not a soul in this room that is not in some way a teacher. Because all of you, having been equipped with the Word, are able to instruct and teach your neighbor next door, your classmates or your friends or whoever you're around, you have the ability to teach somebody the right way. Or you have not been paying attention. You have that to do, to teach. Teaching one another in psalms and hymns. Are you with me? Teaching. This is a gifting. It doesn't just always work so you can walk around with your Bible looking for a pulpit. But you walking around with a desire to just know the Lord and He brings that anointing for that moment and boom, you're there. What He's given you to do, you do it. And people listen to you and go, you know, I never saw that before. Because that's the way God works. Another thing He mentioned is exhortation. Exhortation is the act of encouragement and comfort. I would simply call it preaching, expounding, saying, giving forth the Word. It would include teaching. Exhortation would include teaching. It could include prophecy. The exhortation could, as it's being brought forth, include the gifts of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom. Word of knowledge has to do with yesteryear, past tense. Things that have already happened. The word of wisdom are things that have not yet happened. Instruction on how to go that way. And the teaching could be like that. You know, gifts operate so much that you don't recognize them. They are more common than you realize. And we keep saying, when are the gifts ever going to operate? And if you were a little more keen spiritually, you would realize that in wonderful ways they have operated. We're looking for some dramatic convention atmosphere. And then giving. Giving in two different ways. One way, they say, is giving is an absolute sense, meaning one who distributes alms. But I don't know if I can go that direction or not because alms weren't given to a pool like in a church fund to be distributed. Alms were given from the giver to the needy person. I think giving has to do with that. Simply that. Gratuitous, gracious giving. Who's able to give the most? That's not hard. The ones that are able to give the most are the ones that have the most. Is it true that some people are blessed with everything they put their hand to in such a way that, whoa, you ever known that? I think God leans on people like that to give. Did you know that giving like that is a gift? It was brought about by the Lord to make it possible. And all you're doing is taking what he's done for you and blessing other people. And I have found out, as some of you, I am told, are finding out, you can't outgive God. But every time you give, he begins to give back to you. I had a man tell me the other day, he said, you know, that works. I said, you're talking to the wrong person. 
I've known this for years and years. Back when I first got saved, I learned this. I've been spared a whole lot of painful, broke moments, poverty moments. Been there, but it didn't last. Because I've learned how to give. And giving is something that when God inspires it, it always benefits others. And yet God is not so ungracious to forget your ministry that he would not give back to you more than you gave. You give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. You give to somebody or you give to something. Verse 8, he that ruleth. The word ruleth is a word given to leaders. One who stands before. It's also given to dads. In the verse it says, one that ruleth his household well. In Second Timothy 3, verse 4 and 5. The word rule and the word stand before the same words. And a dad's responsibility is to stand before his family as prophet and priest. He brings God to his family as a prophet. And he brings his family to God as a priest. And he watches over his family to their needs and their well-being to make them citizens of the kingdom along with his wife. The two work together. And how that has been totally set aside. Renegade fathers are producing renegade kids. We should not have that problem. And then he said down in verse 8 again, He that showeth mercy. Showeth mercy is a way of saying shows compassion on those that have needs. Caring, sensitive compassionate people. And you and I both know that some people are far more like this than others are. 